Welcome to Bygone Geek. Loading another awesome episode in 3, 2, 1, launch. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Come with me if you want to learn. All right, folks. Travel back in time with us today as we discuss the Back to the Future movies. Don't worry, you don't need money. It don't take fame. You don't need a credit card to ride this train because that's the power of Bygone Geek. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Eric, it's been a blast watching the Back to the Future movies. I've basically grown up with all of these and I watch them once a year. Uh, do you have any childhood memories or you know, your first memories of which movie you watched first and just how it resonated with you as a kid? Yeah, I enjoyed rewatching these as well. And like you, I feel like I I regularly, I've probably seen these probably close to a hundred times each. I just wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. And I was I was really having a hard time thinking of which one I probably saw first, and it probably was Back to the Future too. I just I wouldn't be surprised if it was the second one. Because it was just a little more crazy that it's just like there are so many timelines. You see the future of 2015. Oh, my God, 2015. It's like you couldn't compute that <laughs> in the 90s. And now it's like in 2022, 2015 is kind of lame. <laughs> like there wasn't really a lot of big stuff that happened in 2015. Definitely. Thankfully, we don't boards. have a, a Jaws 19 in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really, really is personal this time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. But we did, I feel like 2015 was a big, we were still big into 3D movies in the theaters. So they called that one, they called that one right in future movies that 3D would be big. But yeah, I, I think I'm pretty positive, like 90% positive that I was introduced to it, Back to the Future 2 was the first one I saw as a kid, and then probably the third one, and then watched the first one when I was maybe just a year or two older than that. But I just, I loved this series. Time travel is is just su- su- such a cool premise to me. Do, do you, What were your, when were you first exposed to it? You know, I have to agree because my mind really wants to be like a traditionalist. Like, no, you started with one. Right. Kind of like Star Wars, right? No, you start with A New Hope. Then you got Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Same with this. But I do feel, and I was trying to figure out that word too for Back to the Future too. And I think that's the one I did start with first. I think that's the one my parents showed me. And you said kind of it's like crazier. And it totally is, right? Yeah. And I kind of was using the word cartoony almost. Yeah. Um, with the way the future is and some of those characters. And it, it just was more adventure and just more fun. Yeah. Um, as I, I, like I said, I rewatched these movies almost every year. Like Back to the Future, w- the first one, as a kid, and even now it's still pretty dark. There's some dark yeah. elements. Yeah, there's, um, there's very much dramatic elements to the first one that aren't in the other two. I, I totally agree with that, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like my parents were more comfortable showing me this the second one. And then honestly, I'm not going to, I think, Probably went to the third one and then back to the first one. Yeah. Because, you know, I know we're going to dig into these, but like the third one, again, was also more cartoony. Yeah. Uh, and maybe yeah. outlandish is, is the word, too. There's more over-the-top moments in these other in the later ones, right? Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. What are some things that you liked about the second one, y- you know, young Eric, that still resonate with you today? Uh, it has to be all of the sequences, which the funny thing is, is re-watching it recently for this episode. The futuristic portion of it is the is so short. 
I forgot how short that was. That it, it goes back to the like the fifty or the alternate timeline, and then the fifties, right? With like the remainder of the movie. But in my child brain, I specifically remember Back to the Future Two being the the flying DeLorean straight out of the gate in that movie. Just roads where we're going, we don't need roads. Like was, <laughs> and like that was so cool. And then the way that they altered Downtown Hill Valley to be futuristic. It's just everybody's clothing was cool. The hover, the hoverboard by far, for them to duplicate, and we'll talk about this. I feel like a lot throughout this episode, for them to duplicate scenes in all of these films yeah. and it not seem boring, is so impressive. So it's like the fact that they duplicated the skateboard chase, yeah. like in the second movie with hoverboards, that to me is is burned into the back of my childhood memories is when young Griff chases after him on the, on the, what the bulldog, the version the of the bull. hover, yeah, the pit bull. Yeah. The <laughs> pit bull. And the fact is like, Hey, you bozo, those boards <laughs> don't work on water. You need more power. <laughs> like I just loved that whole sequence was just so freaking cool. And rewatching it recently in, in, in 4k, I, the practical effects of those hoverboards still looks so freaking cool in 2022. Oh, like yeah. I didn't Incredible. see a, Yeah, I didn't see a single hanging line. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any sort of like just movie ma- like it was just straight up you could have swore that they were all truly on hoverboards. So for me that is definitely the most burned in memory of Back to the Future 2 in my childhood brain and still when I watch that that rewatch that scene as an adult it's just so cool. It's so whimsical and amazing. Like, what what was yours? Well, I think you hit a lot of great points. And I think you know as well, and for the YouTubers watching, uh, Eric knows firsthand that the hoverbirds don't go on water. No. I see you guys. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure if I actually, yeah, if I actually stood on that, I would uh, shatter it into a million pieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said something, too, that a young David didn't, didn't, you're right, they did it so well that young David didn't notice, and adult David still thinks it's really awesome. All these movies had these, like, foundational pieces, right? Mm-hmm. There's a skateboard scene. There's a car chase scene. There's the wake-up scene. But, yeah, they were so creative, and you almost, like, what, how are they going to do this scene yeah. now? Yeah. Unfortunately, in the third one, poor Marty can't use a skateboard or a hoverboard, and he's using his own feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, my, yeah, there wasn't much chase. I think he ran for like two seconds in that <laughs> film, and the rest of the time he's just drugged behind a horse. <laughs> yeah. That was the chase scene in that movie. Uh, yeah. At least it dirtied up his uh, cowboy outfit. Yeah, that that's Doc true. thought was appropriate. <laughs> yeah, his spaghetti western <laughs> outfit. Yeah. I love um, when the two Doc meets him in the third one and goes, "Who dressed you like that?" Or what idiot dressed you like that? Yeah, he's like, you, you did. did. Yeah, pretty good song. <laughs> you did. <laughs> uh, that scene scared young David, to be honest, because we hadn't seen our hero, Marty, not get away in a sense. And here he is being dragged through the, the dirt. It was kind of terrifying. But also kind of looked fun in yeah. a weird way. It's like, oh, I want to try that. Well, and then um, the mad dog, Tannen. He Buford, was so don't call yeah, him he, Mr. Tanner. Yeah, don't, he didn't mean to call you mad I, dog. I'm sorry, I apologize. He did, he call you mad. Here's your $80. Like, please don't shoot me in the back. Um, yeah, like uh, he was far more, that was definitely the most like intimidating as a kid. Like when I saw him, I'm like, wait a second. This guy's much more intense than Biff. Like he was really scary. 
You talked about the $80. You sent me that meme about uh, how he had all that money in the second one, yeah, but yeah. he wouldn't pay Buford $80. Yeah, and the, even when I rewatched the second one, uh, like a couple days ago, when he opens up that briefcase, it does have 1865 <laughs> money marked on it, and it's like $100 bills. And I'm like, you got a stack of cash there, and you refuse to pay 80 bucks, and you're going to get shot over it? Like, great move, Doc. It's the principle of uh, <laughs> yeah, the matter. True. Now, as a kid, when we talk about the second one, I think you made another great point. You're right. Like the, I remembered the, when we first see the future and the, the, the cars and the street and the clock tower and the water, I'm like, that was the whole movie. No, it was only a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, it was then, maybe and, 10 minutes. Yeah. It was very short. Yeah. And that's probably all they could do yeah. to make it look future. And then they're like, okay, we had nowhere else to go on this, but you know, it was awesome. But here's what I remember. And this is why here's where the cool fact the cool factor comes in too because in the first one i get how there's cool factor and in, in the third one it's kind of different because it's the old west when young david first saw the power laces the nikes uh, yeah it was like oh i need those i need those like right now almost like okay i guess there's gonna be young david had a need for shoes i think of men in black and will smith and <laughs> then i'm gonna get to the next part he had that jacket yeah young david also wanted jackets i grew yeah. up in the Southwest. <laughs> I should have been wearing flip flops and no That's jackets. True. Yeah, but I wanted all these clothing uh, items from all these these guys. But yeah, so when he got the jacket too, and uh, he pressed that button to make it fit him, um, and then you know the the Jaws uh, scene kind of actually scared me as a kid because I thought that looked cool. Now I will be honest, and I don't want to lose any listeners because of this. <laughs> I did not care for the hat in the yeah. in the movie. I was like, that's kind of kind of takes away from the cool factor. Yeah, but and the inside and then, out the inside out uh, pockets were also a little goofy too. I thought yeah. that was weird. The like teens in 2015 pull their pockets out. Yeah, it was a little weird. That's where I drew the line too. I talked about in other episodes where I'd walk up and down the street wearing the leather jacket and the tucked in shirt and cowboy boots. I think it was Last Action Hero, Jack Slater, right? Yeah, yeah. When I pretended to be Marty. I wasn't pulling out my pockets and I didn't wear the hat. I just had, yeah. you know, a red coat and, and had some Nike shoes on. And then the last thing I remember from that movie, again, you, you talked about the hoverboard. Here's what's so weird as I think about that. I didn't want the pit bull. No, I, I wanted either. that pink and yeah, green the on hot, the one the, you have yeah, right the hot there. Pink. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. I don't want to talk gender toys, but it, he got it from a girl. Yeah, yeah. But it was so cool looking. It was. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I so. I agree. Something about the hot pink. It was a very smart move by them, and I think it just the fact of yeah, the fact that it was a this cutting edge thing to us watching the film, but in that day in 2015 of that you know timeline. That was just a Mattel toy. Like it said Mattel on it and it was just a hover scooter. The fact that he like, cause I don't remember that as a kid, but as an adult, it's like, yeah, it's a scooter. He right. tears the handlebars off and then goes and uses it as a, as a skateboard. And uh, yeah, and it, it duplicates from the first movie too, that they had like old wooden handmade scooters in the fifties and he tears the handlebars off of that too. And it's just this wooden, wooden That's skateboard. Right. And that like he essentially invented skateboards in 1955 because everybody's like, what is he on? Like they were just so confused by it. But um, yeah, I agree. I, like as an adult, I really, I want one of those Pitbull ones to go right next to the pink <laughs> one. Um, but as a kid, yeah, the hot pink 
was just a really cool visual choice. And then to see them carry on the hoverboard into the third movie, yes. you knew like when, when he uses it to rescue Doc off uh. of the train, if it was this black thing, you really wouldn't see it. But a big hot pink thing, you know, it's a, it was a smart uh, visual move, I think, for them. But yeah, yeah, I agree. The hot pink just got my attention. I was like, holy crap, Is are we really going to have like flying cars and hoverboards in the future? This is mind blowing. <laughs> so along those same lines, since we're really talking about number two at the moment, I, I've noticed this over the years, but when I rewatched it specifically for this episode, I thought it would be a fun thing to kind of go through of we all realize what they got wrong in Back to the Future 2. Flying cars were not a thing in 2015. Hoverboards, not a thing. Predicting the weather down to a second, if you remember oh, yeah. that. Yes. Also not a thing. It's especially you and I both living in the Midwest. We know that that is a bunch <laughs> of lies. <laughs> uh, self-lacing shoes and the self-fitting. And if you remember that jacket was also self-drying. Self-drying. Like your jacket yeah. is now dry. <laughs> <laughs> You'd so we don't, we don't have any of those things. And we don't have the miniature pizza dehydrated pizzas. You right. know, the Pizza Hut ones. Or I also noticed that uh, older Marty McFly wore two neckties when he yep. came home from work. Sadly, those didn't take off either. However, <laughs> even though they got those wrong, there's a whole list of things that when I was rewatching it, making notes, they did get right. And some of them are mind blowing to me. One of them is fingerprint identification. And they did it multiple times because when the police checked Jennifer's Jeff, yeah. thumbprint, that was fingerprint ID. There also was a guy that came up to Marty to save the clock tower in 2015. And he had a pat, a tablet and said, do you want to thumb me a hundred dollars? Like to do and with a thumbprint, which was really cool. So yeah. And then once they go to their old house it's, or their futuristic house, they have an in-home voice assistant, voice controlled lighting, yeah. which is all has been a thing even pre 2015. Um, so before I list some of the other ones, can you think of any other ones that like you you thought of when you rewatch it? Because there's actually a decent amount. Well, I know that it's interesting. I don't know if it was in 2015, but the Cubs have won the World Series. In 2016, um, they missed it by a, just a year. That's pretty which crazy. Which is crazy. They missed it by a year and beat Cleveland. <sighs> oh, yeah. In the real world, they beat Cleveland. But in the in the movie, they beat Miami. That like I I don't know what team that they were trying to say that that team was. Well, but. that's another one because Marty goes, "Why well, no?" I was ta wasn't talking about that, but Miami. Well, they were the Florida Marlins, and now they're I believe the Miami Marlins. Oh, interesting. So, so they kind of got team. like half correct yeah. things for both of them. Yeah. So I would when I saw that too that the the Cubbies won in, you know in 2015, uh, I was like they did win around that time, and the fact that they missed it by a year is really <laughs> weirdly impressive. Um, so yeah, there was that. And then uh, also I noticed, so yeah, the 3D movies of Jaws 19. And then even if you remember when uh, when Doc kind of knocks out Jennifer and they're putting her on a, like a trash compactor in the alleyway, on that trash compactor was a bunch of compacted CDs and yeah. laser disc. For so recycling, fact, right? Yeah. For and that, the fact that people yeah. are throwing out this obsolete <laughs> technology was correct. But here's the most impressive one to me. In the cafe 80s, there are two people that legit look like they're on Peloton bikes. Oh, like literally, yeah. like cycling bikes with digital screens on them. And if you rewatch it when he goes into the cafe 80s, they legit look like Pelotons. And I thought that that was just amazing to me. And Pelotons were released in 2013. 
So it's right in time with not it. Not far which is, off. Yeah, not far off. Um, and then another one was, if you remember, because Griff is the the futuristic version of Biff, right? The yeah. younger one. When he goes flying through the the windows of the clock tower, and they're arresting him and bringing him down the stairs, a USA Today drone flies down and takes their picture <laughs> that goes into the, the newspaper. Yes. So they even called drones, which was really impressive too. So there was a handful of stuff that... Yes, they they wildly missed on future <laughs> technology, but other ones that are are actually really impressive that they incorporated in something in 19, whether 88 or 89, I think was the second one. So to predict that that far was pretty impressive. I was really that impressed. That is pretty with it. cool. Yeah, you know, you talk about that peloton scene. I'm glad they didn't make. I, maybe it's just Marty. So the Pepsi bottle has a big like cap on it yeah marty's opening it horizontally yeah and yeah. i'm like why it's gonna spill everywhere yeah you know so maybe well, i'm glad it, that didn't work either well and even i thought it was funny for them to realize that one the cafe 80s was set up as a nostalgia like yeah. diner yeah so the fact that they knew that the 80s would eventually be a sought after era much like a bygone gig podcast. Right. Like, and even when he buys the sports almanac, it's from a place right next to Cafe 80s called Blast from the uh, Past. That's what like, I have in my notes. I said Blast from the Past store. That's our podcast. Yes, it's true. <laughs> so like, that's really crazy for them to think that like, oh, the 80s would be nostalgic to people and maybe there would be a cafe and a like a thrift store that you can buy right. stuff at, which is, yeah, it's really cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and see if there's any others. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I bet you each time, especially with how detailed they did Downtown Hill Valley. Oh, yeah. At, like, I bet you there's a handful of things that every time you'd watch it, as time goes on, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's like, that actually is current technology. One thing I love about time travel movies, and I was trying to see if I saw differences in the first and the second one. I don't think it happens in the third because I don't think it's built yet. But I love theater signs, movie signs yeah. and posters. And I was like, gosh, in the second one, well, even in the first one, it seems like they're dirty movie signs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what's that about in Hill in Hilldale, Hill Valley, you know? Yeah. Um, but I want to see if those change over the course of time, especially in that second part of the movie when yeah. when Marty messes everything up. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Mr. McFly. I, they're, yeah, I feel like I can't even imagine the amount of work that they did on the set design of that because that was like the legit Universal Studios backlot. Yep. And for them to, because even when I rewatched it too, I never noticed that Biff's, uh, the alternate timeline of of Biff after he wins millions of dollars, his hotel is literally the clock tower. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, like it has the whole marquee off of it, but as it pans down from the top of the hotel, which is clearly CGI or their version of CGI, right. as it comes down, you see the big marquee of Biff like smoking the pipe or whatever, but right behind it, you can literally still see the roof line of the original <laughs> clock tower that they built over top of. Oh. Like, yeah, so it was super cool that they used the same sets, but made them look so wildly different for all the different movies. It's pretty cool. So I've got a story for you. Young David, you, you mentioned Universal Studios. Uh, we went to the California one, went to the Florida one, um, you know, when I was a kid. I actually got picked to be Marty McFly and mm -hmm. when they used to do live shows. I'm sure they still do live shows, but it was back, there was a Back to the Future live show and a Beetlejuice show. There was also the Back to the Future ride. Mm -hmm. Well, I got picked to be 
um, Marty McFly. And I remember these memories like they were yesterday. I, you know, you, you kind of, I was a kid, I was young, maybe in fifth grade, but they're like, they kind of prep you of what to do, but it's a live show. They kind of want it to be fun and whimsical. Yeah. You're a kid. Well, I remember walking just like your hoverboard in the corner. I saw the hoverboard mm-hmm. and it was the first time I've ever seen it in real life. And I was like, I remember just getting so excited. I and bet. they're like, okay, you got to go. You're going get, to get into the DeLorean mm-hmm. and uh, Jennifer's going to be there in there. So mm-hmm. I get into the DeLorean. It had all the bells and whistles, all the switches. Wow. Look back, there was a flux capacitor and it was kind of rigged to like um, wires and stuff. So this thing was going to move. Yeah. They had a, a, you know, a stand-up replica of the um, clock tower docks up there. We're basically redoing the end scene okay. where I'm driving to get back to the future. Uh, but anyway, and Jennifer's in there. <laughs> I like that you have to think about what <laughs> back to the future. Yeah. The yeah. name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. Marty and doc, like, all three films they go back to the past well, from the future. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You know, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. Yeah, I know. I have a real problem with that. Uh, um, so I'm sitting, I get in the car where the car's moving. It's got water going down like it's raining and they go, okay. And Jennifer's also a young girl in this as well. We want you to kiss Jennifer. Oh, it's kind of the end scene. Looked at her lo- and looked and ran and ran to my mom. Like that's how <laughs> I remember it. I don't remember kissing her. I just remember uh, no, not doing that. I was fifth grade. Gert cooties, you know. <laughs> you but, made like a tree and got out of there. <laughs> I made like a tree. It's leave. Um, so I had that memory as a kid and man, it was just so much fun. And then other members I have, you know, rides would have their end store. Like when you got out there and so they had a back to the future store. I saved up all my money. I yeah. bought shirts. I bought a little DeLorean. I just remember it being the best day ever seeing a store dedicated to my favorite movie. Yeah. Tried to put that shirt on today. Uh, <laughs> a little snug. I might yeah. have to go back in time. <laughs> um, this is to give it to Harper. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I, I, those I, are... I was, yeah, I was really bummed that like I didn't get to go to Universal Studios until actually until I graduated college. So about like 15 years ago. And oh. they had already replaced the Back to the Future, Ryan. Yeah. But it's still that Universal backlot still had some old school stuff like i got to see the terminator 2 ride and i got to see jaws and stuff like that et but all of them were so old and falling apart that it was kind of it was kind of sad but i do remember going through that part of universal studios and it had it had you know it wasn't you know still it didn't have like i said didn't have any of the back to the future stuff but the way that the set was designed in universal studios it felt like hill valley it still had that that feel to it, which is very, very cool. But yeah, I'm. It's weird to me that they got rid of that ride. That's such the Back to the Future series built Universal is one of the many things that built Universal as a studio. It seems odd that they they would get rid of that. Especially, they're probably regretting that now. With as much so. as people are nostalgic about this film series, I bet you there's a ton of guys, a ton of people our age that would have loved to have taken their kids to see and experience Back to the Future like that. No, I totally agree. It's unfortunate. It's, it's kind of ironic in the sense of the movie we're talking about. Like time, though, does change what people want to do or yeah. see. And when it comes to these parks, they are constantly changing. Now, I did hear a rumor that that potentially the Back to the Future ride 
um, might be coming back. And then another ride, I can't remember though, but so fingers crossed, they might be bringing it back. That'd be with, cool. And with today's updated technology, Oh yeah, that especially, could be pretty cool. Yeah, especially if they did, I mean, imagine like what with what they've already done with um, the Star Wars stuff where it's like yes. you have the ride where you're hopping in a Millennium Falcon and like seeing through like the actual like cockpit of it. Yeah, could you even imagine like being in oh. one where you're looking through the screen of the like or the windshield of the DeLorean and it's a 3D screen? That would be that amazing. would be just so mind blowing. Like that would, and you I could would oh. you could feel the actual you yeah. know how in the stars ones you could feel light speed. You'd feel the 88. Yeah, mile, you know that would be yeah. pretty sweet. So well, I think we've talked a lot about Back to the Future too. Um, where would you go next as a kid? Uh, I think I said I saw probably saw the third one. What do you think? I think so too. I think it was the second one or the third one because I think those were released relatively close together and I feel like they had a similar tone. Plus, I feel like when you if you start with the second one, the second one ends with such a cliffhanger and it mm-hmm. actually had like a legit trailer yes. for the third one that it's just like uh, yeah, why wouldn't you go to the third? So I feel like even just the natural progression of if you started with the second, the third, you're just like, wait, they're in the old West. I need to figure out what happened to Doc. Like, right. so I agree. I think it was two, three, and one. Um, so yeah, the third one, the third one was just a whole different, a whole different movie from the first one, but or from the second one. But it was still so much fun as a kid. Like I, I, I thought that was a really fun version of Back to the Future as a kid. Yeah, I grew up on Westerns, John Wayne, uh, Bonanza. Um, so when young David saw that it was going to be a cowboy movie, yeah. like I totally lost my mind. because. And then the music changed. And we yeah. can spend some time on this too. I mean, the music from these movies is incredible. I have in my notes, like I was trying to find that word of how these movies made you feel. It made you, I landed with uh, Triumphant. Yeah, like that's a great word. accomplished. I don't even yeah. think Doc says that at some point, or uh-huh. I don't know. But it's it, it always felt like when they did finish something, it was so inspiring. But to hear it as a western, yeah, it had that twang to it. Yeah, oh my gosh, I loved it. Even as a kid, I thought that was so cool. And that's a not a I guess I don't know anything about music, but a small detail, probably a big detail as well to change yeah. music like that. But yeah, that's pretty cool how they did that. Yeah, and, and it still had the undertones of the original the original score like but in a western twist was really impressive you're right though this whole series is that way that like one i feel super bad because i thought that this was a john williams uh thing it's not me too i know alan silvestri silvestri yeah which also is like a pinnacle nostalgic music score person like he's like Forrest Gump, like a lot of old school stuff. Like he's very as good as as John Williams, and he's still doing it. Like it, for YouTube people, right behind me, Infinity War and Endgame, he scored both of those. Oh like, my! Yeah. No wonder why they were incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So the fact that he scored the trilogy of Back to the Future, and just like we felt emotion in it, and now still today, we feel the emotion of Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. I'm so impressive. Like just absolutely impressive. But I I agree with you hundred percent. Triumphant is a great word for it. And I I feel like also the way the music score was is there were certain parts of it that were also a little bit like suspenseful that you weren't you didn't quite know yeah. how something would work out. But it's just like it it's crazy that one part of the song felt suspenseful, but then when it hit the its big 
you know, this is my band geek terms coming out, you know, fifth grade to 12th grade band geek. When the crescendo hits, you know, <laughs> and the volume goes up and it hits the chorus line of it and the main hook of it. Yeah, you can't beat the Back to the Future theme song. Like, it was just, it gives you chills. It's so good. It like, does give you chills. And we talked about music in our other, you know, and you referenced John Williams. I totally agree. Like, as a kid, music didn't hit me, but as an adult, I there are scenes where even I teared up because of how the music carries you with these characters, and then you get that final you know build up, and it was like yes, all right. Yeah. Um, and I felt like you talked about suspense. This third one, especially that latter half of the movie with the train scene, there was a lot of that yeah. up and down of the music because you know uh, Claire uh, Claire Clayton is hanging off this train. Yeah, Marty's in the front, Doc's on top of it, and you're like, what's what is going on here? Yeah. Um, you know, I did love the, the third one as I watched, I didn't realize this as a kid, but as an adult, this really is all about doc. It is. Marty's kind of the doc in this one in the sense of as a character. Yeah. And he's finding a love interest. And, um, even that, even, I didn't notice this really as a kid, but rewatching it, uh, rewatching it recently, the duplicate scenes that we had talked about that they do, like, if you remember in the first movie, when they're in 1955 and Lorraine, you know, comes into the, that wants to come into Doc's shop and they're like, quick, cover up the DeLorean. Yeah. And she comes in and she's swooning her son, <laughs> you know, that, that they duplicated that scene in the third one, that yeah. it, but it was, it was reversed. It was Doc that Clara comes in and, and, and Marty's like, cover up the DeLorean yeah. and she comes in and swoons him. Like, I Which is thought, much more appropriate. <laughs> yeah, much, way more appropriate, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, you're right. But it very much was a doc movie. And I think they established that right at the end of the second one. That when you see him, yeah, get, get um, you know, lightning bolted back to the past. Uh, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> right. You know, in this case, yeah, back to the past. And then that Western Union guy comes and, like, he reads the note. Like, that was yes. so intense and you were just like... Yeah, what happened to Doc? We need to go save Doc. Um, well, young yeah. David thought that was Doc. Like, you see I the headlights. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's there. Oh, oh, this is very dark and ominous. What's happening? And he's like, yeah. I got a letter. And he, you know, motions. And yeah, it was a pretty intense scene. Um, that's another costume I wanted. I wanted that something inconspicuous. I wanted that leather jacket <laughs> and the hat and the walkie-talkie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I... Uh, uh, the first you talked about her swooning her son I, the, my notes for the first movie i just have like freud would have a lot to say yeah he'd have a field day these yeah movies, so. <laughs> um, maybe robert zemeckis has had something going on back <laughs> back in the day when he wrote this movie yeah uh it, it it's it, it is funny though because like i yeah i didn't notice how much it it focused on doc in the third one so re-watching it as an adult and especially re-watching it recently I just, uh, I, and I think we'll get into this so much throughout this whole entire episode. The acting ability of Christopher Lloyd oh, and, yeah. and of Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson and... And Biff. Buford. Yeah, and Biff. And I feel yeah. horrible that I just listed all of their real names and I'm just like, and Biff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Biff, I'm so sorry. Um, but like, he, even him, you forgot through this whole series that one, the actor that played Biff and Leah Thompson were young people. They yeah. were as young as Michael J. Fox, but you were so used to seeing them as their older counterparts that like, 
it's so such good acting. And then even the arc of Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown, that you could watch him in one film be a 50s version of himself that is this kooky, uh, you know, scientist that can't invent anything. Like everything right. just fails. He can't yeah. get a single idea going. To then being, uh, you know, later on in the movie, you see his, or earlier and later, the futuristic <laughs> version of him that he's the, he created a time machine. Like, and you understood that these are two different Doc Browns. Like, I remember as a kid, it was convincing to me that these were, I don't think I computed that young Biff and old Biff were the same actor. Like, I didn't compute that as a kid at all. Young David didn't compute that Marty was also his sister in yep. the second one and that he was Seamus and yeah. the third one and, you know, yeah, all the I, God, makeup and, and their acting abilities too. But wow, yeah, they yeah. were very convincing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, I was the same way. It, it took actually a while till even I was an adult to realize that the daughter in the second film was Michael J. Yeah, Fox. Yeah, his daughter. Yeah, and when, I feel like even when I realized it, I'm like, oh, Michael J. Fox... He's kind of, can makes kind of an attractive woman. <laughs> I had that in here. I was like, Mr. Fox, you're a beautiful woman. Yeah, you have Kikudos a nice bone structure, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if you watch, yeah, rewatch as an adult, they give so much, like, as he, she turns her head, yeah. they give a little time, you're like, oh, that's <laughs> Michael J. Well, Fox. and I feel like he's horribly faking a female voice, too. Yeah. It's like, dad, yeah. phone's for you. <laughs> like, it's just really bad. Um, yeah, like, I, I agree. I didn't compute those things as a kid. Um, and as an adult, it's just now that you do know, it's it's entertaining and you realize how great they are at acting. And it's just, yeah, even for its time, like you said, the makeup work to make them look older, like older Biff, especially in the second one. Oh, Buford, when he steals yeah. the time or the machine. second one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like when he steals the time machine, like he looked like a legit old man. He's all hunched mm -hmm. over and had that fist cane and everything. Like, he hurts himself in the car. It yeah. looked believable. Oh, yeah, totally. No. I, I do think even in the third one, though, I I did absolutely love it as a kid, but I feel like the ranking for me as an adult has shifted. Um, okay. Yeah, so I feel like that has shifted a little bit, which I think we'll get into it at, at some point. But as a kid, I agree. The Western idea was just really, really cool. And then especially in the end to see a locomotive time machine was oh just an, was amazing too and it just i still as a kid and as an adult i really want a fourth one so bad i know we'll probably lose another small segment of our small amount of listeners <laughs> you like, just lost me you, as well yeah, how dare you you and bill murray want a fourth one that's about <laughs> it chris o'donnell and i are good with the trilogy but I just, I feel like to have that nostalgia again, and I'm not saying reboot it. I'm saying bring back the original, the original cast. Like, mm. I just feel like rewatching it as an adult, Marty and Doc had such a great, like Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd just had a great on-screen dynamic that has not been duplicated. And I sure. feel like I'd be the super, chemistry. yeah, I feel like I'd be super bummed to see like a Tom Holland and a, you know, I don't even know who would be worthy of a Doc Brown, let alone a Marty McFly, but I feel like people have mentioned like a Tom Holland, but I just don't think I could handle seeing it rebooted. I want to see Michael G. Fox and Christopher Lloyd on screen again. I just, I really, really do. Yeah, the last time we got to see them reprise these roles in like an official 
show way. I think it was maybe 2015, 2016. It, they they were on Jimmy Kimmel and they oh, yeah. showed up in the DeLorean and they got yeah, out. Yeah, it was like and, a lot. They did like a big theater one. Yeah. Right? They recorded it in a theater. Yeah, I yeah, remember that. Pre-COVID, it says live audience and um, Marty had the... Uh, the vest on, the life preserver. Yeah. Uh, what do you always got? What How long have you the... been in the Coast Guard? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And Doc's got, I believe Doc had a like a white science suit like he had at the yeah. end of the first one. Um, but it was, so, a, yeah. it was a very cool moment. And they talked about how, oh, no one's going to watch this now. They're going to watch it on their phones on the in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Just kind of talking about how, kind of how we haven't... <laughs> come far in, no. in, in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a funny segment. But, you know, I can't... Yeah, man, it's tough. These movies are... Yeah, I would agree with you. If we got a fourth one, I, you know, it'd have to be the same cast. And there's this joke. I think it's Zemeckis who had said in a in a review or article, interview, he said, the only way we'd make a fourth one is if Marty and um, Doc realize it and they go back in time to stop us. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's, that's pretty clever. I think I've seen different interviews of him too where he's referenced that like it will never happen unless he... Like he said, Robert Zemeckis said that if he's still alive, it will never happen. Yeah. He's like, it will happen. It needs to happen when he's dead. But like at the same time, they've they've done sequels of a lot of different things when they've sworn that they would never do it. True. And a lot of them are horrible, but you have outliers and this, I'll bring up Bill Murray. The, oh, this new gosh. Ghostbusters is mind-blowing, and you should watch it because Bill Murray's <laughs> only in it for like two minutes, so you can stomach the whole thing. Two um, minutes too long. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I do feel like if they had enough manpower behind it of the original cast and crew and writers and screenplays, I feel like they could give uh, a really phenomenal closure to the whole series. But at the same time, I know that, especially with Michael J. Fox, he's pivoted into such a mind-blowing humanitarian role of what he's done with the Michael J. Fox Foundation that this isn't something, this isn't even who he is anymore. Like he just, his his life is to help Parkinson's research and uh, filmographies, you know, hasn't been his thing since like Spin City in the early 2000s, I think. So, so yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but I think all the more reason, oh yeah. And I think all the more reason why these three films are just so entrenched into our nostalgia is this that I think that we know we're never going to get to see it again. Yeah. So we just re-see it in these three. Um, can you remember specifically when you watched the first one? No, I had to have been in probably fifth or like middle school age, I feel. I think I think I'm the same way too. Yeah. Um, and again, there was some some dark elements that I don't know if mom wanted me to see those things, like the referencing of Peeping Tom. And uh, yeah. when Biff... Lib- Libyan terrorist and plutonium and, and Doc getting shot. Like, yeah. Thank God was a lot made of Mr. Th- Fusion. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that, now that you mentioned that, I have a thing in my notes that after rewatching this, I find it funny that in the first movie, the DeLorean takes full-fledged plutonium. <laughs> right. And in the second movie, it takes two banana peels and a half of a Miller High Life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, out of the trash the last sips. <laughs> And it's just like, how in the world... <laughs> Did you go from a stick of plutonium to two banana peels and the tiniest little bit of Miller High Life and the can? And you're like, yep, we're good to go. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, um, but yeah, I. Uh, there was another dark moment in that movie that I just, we even watched it as an adult. It was never probably explained to me as a kid because, you, you know, it's, it's a he- heavy 
subject. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene at the the dance where they're in the car, Biff and Lorraine, and yeah, it's almost very just rape like. Oh, it totally right? is, and I feel uh, like you sense. Oh man, I just feel Leah Thompson. She she acted in that phenomenally, and then I feel like the I feel like this whole movie. The actor who played Biff, I apologize again for not knowing your name. Biff Tanner, Mr. Tanner, Tannen. <laughs> but like he also was so convincing as somebody who was going to get what he wanted. Yeah. And yeah, I, I feel like even to this day rewatching that scene, you're just like, this was just depicted a little too well. <laughs> like it yeah. was just a little too intense. It was um, scary. But all the more reason, like, uh, you know, brilliant filmmaking from Robert Zemeckis to capture that type of scene and be able to pull that out of those actors. All the more reason, like, I mean, George McFly in that first movie was such a wimp who never stood up for himself and everybody walked over him. So I think the fact that they were able to depict something so intense is what brought out the anger in this coward. It was really impressive because I was convinced that like, like you're right, especially after that scene when he comes out and gets him in like that arm bar. Yeah. She's like, you're going to break his arm. Yeah. Even that. I was just like, oh my God, like he's, this is horrible. And that whole scene of him seeing Leah Thompson just afraid and then getting so angry at Biff and the clenched fist, like it was Well, Biff abuses her. She jumps on him and Biff throws her down and that's when you see yeah, uh, Crispin, you know, George McFly realize, okay, and he balls that fist. Yeah. And yeah, it goes for that swing. And it's it's an amazing scene. Here's another thing about, we're talking about Crispin Glover. And we talked about how in the third one, it's kind of Doc's movie. I, it's a kid, it's Marty, Marty, Marty. Yeah. Crispin, George McFly, that character's in a lot uh, in this movie. He's he's in it yeah. a lot. Yeah, he's in it. He's in it a ton, and I feel like him and um, him and Michael J. Fox click together really well. And I feel they were like each other's density. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true that like it, it, they click together well, and you could kind of get this feeling of, oh wait, I could see this being a father son dynamic. Um, but even even there's different lines that Marty has in it. It's like. Jesus, Dad! It's no wonder I was even born. Yes, <laughs> like, right. It's just like he's he had a so many. T- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I just to discover that would be something quite amazing to actually be able to discover truly who your parents were back then. That like it'd be horrifying to know that's like your mom, your dad discovered your mom by peeping into her window. <laughs> like what yeah. a creeper! Or the yeah. memories of oh, I've never seen purple underwear before. Oh yeah, yeah. Like. Does time travel erase all that? I guess it would. <laughs> I hope. Um, but, you know, we talked, we're kind of, this movie had so many memorable scenes. But, I mean, you, you can't not talk about, as a kid, the first scene when we see Marty flipping the switches for that yeah. sound, you know, the, the, the giant booster sound. speaker. Yeah, yeah. The huge amplifier was so cool. Yeah. And all the sounds and clicks. And when he plugs in the, uh, the jack into the guitar, it yeah. just sounded so amazing. And then, and he gets blasted. You're like, yeah. as a kid, that was so cool. I feel like you I know? even remember he has a metal guitar pick. That yes. It's just like glints into the the sun and you're just like a metal guitar pick. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And like that whole opening sequence of seeing all of Doc's kind of makeshift inventions of like, yeah. I think there was like a, a dog feeding station where it just was like an arm that dumped it out. And it was just like, yeah, he didn't. 
the DeLorean time machine was like his one successful thing. Everything else, you're just like, wow, he uh, wasn't a great scientist when it came to inventing some of these little weird uh, machines. In the third one, he took like a giant football field of space to make one cube of ice, remember? And Marty yeah. goes, it's a refrigerator. Yeah. But it was massive. But yeah. again, that, a single, Mr. Yeah. Yeah, a single cube of... Uh, dirty dirty ice too <laughs> it's like i remember being like a brown ice cube um, ice tea he goes yeah yeah you know mr <laughs> brown all right you did you did pretty good um <laughs> yeah and he uh that that scene he goes oh, i'm late for school which we all can resonate and then have have never seen someone take a skateboard and then hop onto the back of a vehicle yeah ever yeah. that was the, as a kid and even as an adult like i we wanted to do that. Yeah. Not couldn't, didn't. <laughs> yeah. But we wanted to do that. Yeah. It was really that, especially when he gets into downtown Hill Valley and he transitions from like one car to another car bumper. Yes. Like it was, he was so cool. And I feel like they straight out of the gate in that first movie, Marty McFly was cool in the second and the third, but he was super cool in the first one. And they established his coolness very quickly in that first one. I feel like with the skateboards and things like that, but even I feel like he's going to school and then there's a scene not too far off in the very beginning where he's trying out for the battle of the bands. Yeah. Like, and did you know he's trying out for battle? That's Huey Lewis that tells him you guys are just, you're just too loud. Yeah. Classic. (laughs) It was so good. But like, he dressed so cool and he had those aviators and he's, you're like, oh, he plays guitar. He hangs out with this cool scientist. He has a girlfriend. Like he, yeah, Marty McFly in that first movie, you're just like, this kid's freaking cool. Like he was just awesome. I'll admit though, I didn't think he was cool until later. Um, yeah. And then I rewatched him waving to the girls on the, uh, they're doing their exercise class yeah, yeah. and all this and that. I was like, all right. And he, he does have cool fact, cool factor uh, later. Um, but, you know, when we also think of, of the first one, you do have the iconic uh, car, the DeLorean. Yeah. First time I'd ever, you know, well, the second one, but like we actually got to see the original. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about the movies and the cars, and we've kind of talked about this before, Batmobiles and things like that. Did you have a favorite DeLorean? And it's interesting when I thought about this question, there are subtle changes, not big yeah. drastic ones, yeah. but there are changes. And it's one that weirdly I remember that I liked. I want to know if it's the same one that you like, but yeah, do, do you have a favorite DeLorean out of the series? I feel like out of the series, um, the second one is my favorite one. I feel like the second one, I just remember it specifically. Like the first one was cool, especially the way that they reversed it out of the the Doc Brown's van in the Twin Pine Mall parking lot. Like yes. the, re- the reveal of that was so amazing. And that whole sequence in that parking lot, like was just the DeLorean was the was the star in that that like in that scene like it the, the yeah. car it's was a, the star it's a character in itself yeah. that we really don't talk well we're talking about it now but you're totally right it gets its own entrance and yeah. it's so cool yeah so to me i think taking the cool factor of the original delorean and giving it those wheels that tuck under and become hover wheels yes. and the addition of the mr fusion was really cool to me too uh, but i still think even though i love the second one a ton the first one does have a, a piece of my heart as well because I loved the idea that it was nucle- nuclear. I yes. love that it took plutonium. <laughs> like the fact that it, this thing was just like needed to be controlled by what controls an atom bomb was so cool. So yeah, that transition in the second one of 
two banana peels and a half a can of beer was a little bit of a shift. Um, but then even the third one had funness to it too with the 1950s. The wheels. white wall tires. Yeah, the white wall tires and the moon yeah. wheels. And uh, and I didn't realize, I never noticed it as a kid, but uh, rewatching it as an adult, if you remember in the third one, the time circuits get fried because he gets uh, shocked out of the sky. And he says that he left schematics for his 1950s counterpart to rebuild the time circuits. Yeah. I didn't realize until watching it as an adult that that big panel on the hood is the 1950s time circuit. Yeah, <laughs> so the I 80, didn't either. Yeah, the but... 80s version is like this, like two millimeters long, but the 50s <laughs> version, it's like four feet long. Um, so yeah, there was all three of them. Again, like you said, uh, we just talked about, they were characters in the film and they were different characters, which was cool to see this evolution. And even them too, having to repair the time machine in all yeah. three movies in some fashion was a really cool element too. So I think even though I love all three, the second one has a, a bigger chunk of my nostalgic uh, memories, I feel like. How about you? As a kid, it, I loved the white wall tires and I liked the look, but as an adult, it's so clunky and it doesn't fit yeah. the car at all. It's, it's jacked up. Like yeah. I feel like it looks like a little bit of like a monster truck and you're like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. and I did like the, 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 um, the circuits on top. I loved though, even in Doc Brown's like head as he's writing these notes, he doesn't, he refers to himself as the counterpart. And yeah. that Doc is like, I guess I'm the counterpart, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty, pretty funny. But, you know, the, and I'm going to mess this up, the back of the vehicle, I don't know what you would call those things. Like they were kind of the, the, they were shaped at the back almost like fans. Yeah, I think, yeah, it seemed like it was an exhaust system. That, cause okay. like I feel like it shot, there were so many scenes where after it had time traveled that it shot out like plumes of smoke. So it seemed okay. like it was like cooling. Yeah. Fans or something. Yeah. Cause I mean, DeLoreans didn't have that, but the way no. they designed this, uh, was just so memorable. And then just, I never had seen doors open like that either as a kid, no. just Even an the, iconic vehicle. The sound of the doors too. The tree. Yeah. Like it has a high pitched sound. <laughs> like it, it, it's amazing that with the doors and the, the sound of the flux capacity and even the sound of the time circuits. Yes. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it truly is a character that had essentially a voice to a certain extent that when you heard the, the sound of the time circuits and then the sound of the, uh, of the flux capacitor, like every part of it, like it, it was like a living, breathing thing. It was so cool. It was, it was very cool. Um, the talking back about the first one too, I've kind of got some, a uh, sentimental kind of memory and you know, I just wanted to share like, um, uh, earth angel was my wife and I's dance at our, our song at our wedding. Oh, nice. Um, we had friends, you know, sing it live, but so any, that scene, um, and again, there's that triumphant moment where, where, where George McFly in the dance, like another guy cuts in yeah, and he's walks away and I'm like, George, you've already done the hard yeah. part, man. You knocked out Biff. Like what yeah. are you doing? And he finally gets it. But Marty's fading away. Yeah. His hand, remember his, his hand starts to become see-through and yeah. the guy's looking at him like, he's going to play the guitar. Right. And then, um, McFly, George McFly pushes that guy down and like Marty comes back up and it's you hear that loud guitar sound yeah. and it's Earth Angel, you know, and you know, the enchantment under the sea dance was a theme I always wanted in all the dances I had growing up. I just thought that would have been a lot of fun. Never, yeah. never happened for me. Did that happen for you? 
No, no, like I don't. The way that that was themed was really cool, and like even, it, it, I remember the Marty's sister that's featured at the beginning of the first movie. When I think when the mom's trying to say when when George and her met, she's like, the the, the daughter goes, wasn't it under the fish under the sea dance? <laughs> <laughs> and the mom's like, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. And even I think later on when uh, Marty and Doc are in the school in 1955, Doc points to to a sign and goes, how about they meet at this ryth- rhythmic ceremonial ritual? That's <laughs> what he calls it. So to me, the... The enchantment under the sea is the fish under the sea dance and a rhythmic ceremonial ritual. <laughs> That's the way that I refer to it. But yeah, that was, I agree. That was a really good kind of pinnacle moment of, yeah, seeing him kind of, you know, falling over and fading away. And like, you're like, I agree. Like watching it as a kid and as an adult, I'm like, wait, you just beat up Biff. This like right. six foot four guy who was assaulting your girlfriend and and now this like r- tiny redheaded nerdy dude like cuts in and you're just <laughs> right. like oh I don't know what I'm going to do <laughs> it's like yeah. what do you yeah you did like you said you did the hard part why is this guy now a big barrier too but uh yeah it um that that that's another one of those things is it was if you think about it all three movies had well the first two duplicated the enchantment under the sea storyline we just got to see the behind the scenes of them you know trying to to get the original version of marty mcfly off the stage while the futuristic marty mcfly is like dropping sandbags and things like that like that was cool to even see that scene revisited again but in a completely different element um and now that i think about it even in the third one there was uh, a dance that they had but it was a dance focused on doc and clara which was cool too, but ZZ Top was the band. Yeah. 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 Like I just, I thought that that was a, that was a lot of fun. And I, it was another one of those factors that made me think that Marty McFly was even cooler that when he played Johnny Be Good, I was like, my goodness, you can't get any cooler. And the funny thing is a little personal story for me is that in high school and college, I played in a punk rock band. (laughs) <laughs> what we we did win one battle the bands and got some studio time so we were at oh, least cool. good to a certain extent at one point or at least there were no other good bands in the battle of the bands <laughs> but we did our own cover of johnny be good and i just that song to me because of back to the future is just an absolute iconic song to me um yeah i i just it always makes me think of, yeah, this is an oldie, but your kids will love it. <laughs> like, yeah, I, just I guess thought, you guys weren't ready for this yet. <laughs> yeah, and Michael J. Fox is actually that good of a guitar player too. Oh, like, that's awesome. Yeah, he he's been, um, I've he's done it with a couple mainstream bands uh, a while ago, where he like he would go and actually play Johnny Be Good and just he does that is not him singing in the movie. Right. I actually don't know who sings it, but the, of course that you know they pick somebody with a really cool voice. But like he can legit play the guitar like that, which was why he looks so convincing is because he's actually playing the chords, the chords and, and stuff for it, which is sweet. That is pretty awesome. Um, you know, I was thinking about kind of you were talking about the second movie and how we got to see the behind the scenes of this whole dance and the first movie. Um, it just makes me think 
just how the movies had their own specific and unique endings. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there watching this ending of the first movie, and I feel like my wife had her like hands over her eyes because you know everything you could imagine goes wrong at yeah. the end there for Doc. And yeah. Marty's in the car, and actually the car stops working too. Yeah. Um, but Doc is up there trying to get the, and as a kid, I'm like, pull the extension, get these cords together. And when yeah. he finally gets it hooked together, and then the one at the bottom disconnects, you're like, and Scout was like, how is he able to slide down? But that doesn't cause anything. But I was like, I think he's on some kind of coil or loop. But to watch Doc fly down from the clock tower, yeah. get it plugged in, get electrocuted, and the music hits and everything, just these things feel, I don't, these memories are so burned into my brain because yeah. they're so good. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that sequence is the most intense sequence of all three films. Um I really do remember watching it as a kid and even now watching it as an adult over the years, it still is phenomenal that you still are just like, is he going to make it? Like, is yes. the, And you understood the urgency of, yeah, if this lightning strikes and it doesn't make it to the time machine, you don't get a second chance at this. Like it was, yeah, the suspensefulness of it was really cool. Like, honestly, I couldn't, I can't for the life of me rewatching these films recently and just for the past 30 years, there's a couple elements that you're just like, oh, that's kind of cheesy, but it's like one or two things. These movies, especially seeing them like remastered in like 4K or on Blu-ray or something like that, you'd swear that it's still a present day film. Like it's just, it's so, they're so good, such good acting, such good writing. The special effects, uh, so many of them still hold up because it was filmed in camera um, they just, I, I, I almost wonder if they knew at the time that they were filming such, uh, iconic movies. I feel like they had to, I feel like they had to realize that. I think, I, I hope they did. Cause it feels like, like you, they went all in on yeah. everything and it totally paid off. These are movies, whether Universal is going to take out rides and put them back, whatever or not, I will, I had to ask, I was like, can a two and a half year old watch Back to the Future? And my wife's like, no. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till down the road. Um, but they are going to live on in this home forever. You oh, know? yeah. Um, and there's just a love for them that, yeah, I'll, I'll give you. There's a one or two maybe cheesy moments, but the rest of them just, they hold up. Like, um, they're just genuine. I, I think I've used the word wholesome and other things too, but that's what these movies are as well. Yeah, um, well, and I what I find interesting is like, I feel like you and I actually have talked about it that like there's been different documentaries or the that series the movies that made us that mm-hmm. for anybody listening that hasn't watched that series one if you're into nostalgia and you're listening to our podcast go watch that like that's just pure really nostalgia good. and they have a back to the future one where there were so many elements of this film series that would have been so different that like the fact that they didn't originally cast uh, Michael J Fox they wanted to. Yeah, they Couldn't wanted to. Yeah, that he was a hot ties. commodity. Yeah. And it, but then you realize after the fact that the, the reason why there were so many night scenes in the first movie was because it was the only time he could film. Yeah. Um, that he was doing like 20-hour days. That's just yeah. filming Family Ties and Back to the Future. But if they would have stuck with the original guy, it wouldn't have been a trilogy. No. And then along those same lines, Ford, Ford wanted the the time machine to be a Ford Mustang. I'm sorry, 80s, I'm, I am a car guy. 80s Mustangs are ugly. <laughs> like, yeah. they are They are not cool looking and they sure as heck are not a full stainless steel DeLorean. Like the DeLorean, 
even to this day, still looks like a futuristic car. So it, the, just the choices that they made and switched uh, switched gears from, um, uh, it's interesting how just uh, the the time, you know, it, it really could have been a whole different series or not a series at all and could have fell flat completely after the first movie. So it's just this nice whimsical combination of of just the perfect amount of actors storyline just to make something so iconic and just absolutely embedded in pop culture now for 30 some or almost 40 years and will be for another 40 years like you just you know it 100 agree you couldn't pick a different car it no i don't that 80s mustang uh i don't know it, it has doc i feel is part of choosing that car as well yeah. it's kind of geeky it's kind of futuristic it's nerdy it's sciencey yeah you don't you don't want a muscle car or something like that you want a car that the doors open the way it did and it's yeah. had that look to it it's such a, a huge part of the of the story um so i'm glad that and i'm so glad michael j fox was able to make this work because um, he's what makes that character that we just, we love. And and same with Christopher Lloyd. I don't know if there was another version or, or if they had another actor in mind for him, but I'm so glad that that worked as well because the casting uh, is perfect. And all of these, you know, uh, the, the Leah Thompson, Leah Thompson, you said, who plays yeah. Lorraine. Um, sorry I, again, Mr. Tanner, I, the actor I, who plays Biff. I secretively looked up while we were recording this episode. Tom Wilson is his name. Mr. Wilson. I apologize for this whole entire episode. I'm still of calling referring- a mad dog. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, the, he, Tom Wilson, now that I know his name, I'm going to give him some kudos. He is by far the best cinematic portrayal of a bully, period. Biff Tannen yeah. is just the bully of all bullies. But at the same time, like you hated him, but you also, he was so integral in that, in these films and had so many different elements even of himself where he was funny and he he was stupid like he was just outright dumb like and and so you you hated him but at the same time he was comic relief when it was needed as well so yeah tom wilson you knocked it out of the park mr wilson i apologize for calling <laughs> yeah, you yeah i you're right you have to have a great bully to have a great hero like yes. marty cuz marty's not a, and i love marty i think i resonated with because he's not tall, he's not buff. He's just a kind of a normal looking kid. And I was kind of yeah. like that as well. But he was cool and he was um, adventurous and uh, he had a, this kind of thing to him that he gravitated towards Marty. But you're right, you needed a good bully to play off that. You know, when I think of Biff and I think of Griff and Buford, there's two versions that I, lo- one version that, two versions that I love and one version that I hate. Okay. okay. I love. Because I love the um, the second version where he owns everything. Biff, mm-hmm. uh, he has his towers and all that. Oh, the and alternate timeline, Biff. Okay, yeah. But you know, he's very though aggressive and abusive, which I don't like. But he played that character of this. I guess he's in that role of fa- father-in-law, stepfather. Yeah, stepfather. He'd be his stepfather because yeah. he murdered George McFly. Yeah. Uh, say, killed the same with the same bullet. Yeah, and, yeah. Know, I'm butchering that. But, you know, I love that version because he's like, I'm going to do anything to protect my, yeah what I have now. Right. But the third, the other, I love Buford Tannen. Uh, like I said, I grew up on Westerns. He's felt like a, a good villain. He was dumb at times. Remember yeah. he'd, you know, we're riding the pines, we're robbing the Pine City Bank. They'd always tell their, yeah their stories of well, what even they're at the, do next. at the end when he's trying to count to 10 to call out 
Clint and he Eastwood. Has to, the and henchman he, has he to looks, tell Yeah, him. he looks at his buddy because he can't remember what comes after six. Yeah. But I, uh, so those are the two biffs I, I still like. Just because I didn't like high school, that that first biff in the first movie is too good yeah. at being him. Um, but I hate the, I know that the movies are meant to make Biff be this way. I hate car car cleaning Biff. Because oh, yeah. he's like, oh, hi, Marty. Nice yeah. hat, Marty. I'm a, I yeah, hate I'm that I'm on the second wax for you, Marty. Yeah. Yeah. He was very schmarmy. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I have a similar kind of order for my Biffs as well. But I still think because he was so mean and so nasty, I think the best iteration of Biff is Back to the Future 1 Biff. Yeah. It's like, like, like we said before, you need this iconic nasty guy that you just want to punch in the face to be the bad guy and then the pinnacle moment in that movie is seeing him get punched in the face <laughs> like it's just that so it was it had the full arc of it that like he was punchable and then he got punched i did wonder at some point but he was such a horrible bad guy that i realized that it's not true but there was part of me and i'm like are we ever going to see like a a Cobra Kai version where we realized that Biff wasn't the bad guy and that Marty was. <laughs> but yeah, I he was a, so. no, he was a little too good of a bad guy. Can you definitively say what is your order? Like, what is your top one? I guess for suspense reasons, let's start with three. Like, not Back to the Future three. What's your third out of the three? <laughs> <laughs> That's always like that meme. Why is it this? And tell me why it would be this. You know, they're yes. already stating it. Um, okay, I don't. Li- Listeners, friends, folks, <laughs> the first one is where I would put third. Be- now, think of it, uh, go, go with me on this. Think of it as Star Wars. Yeah. A New Hope is what needed to start it all. Right. But it's not my favorite Star Wars movie out of those three. Mm-hmm. Right. And as a kid and as, a, and as an adult, there was just more there later. So I'm going to go number the original. But And again, I will say this. These are all very, very, very close. Yeah. You know? There's not like one movie to me is better than the other by like a large margin or anything. So I'm going to go number one. I'm going to go three and then I'm going to go two. Okay. So from best to really, 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 you know, almost best. (laughs) Yeah. Two, three, one. Because of just everything we got with the hoverboard, the power laces, the alternate timeline with Biff, there was more action. It was more cartoony, more over the top. Um, And to, you know, go back behind the scenes of the first one and and get to relive those moments in a different way, which really does speak, I guess, to the first movie of how good. Again, these are all just amazing. That's I think a movie's really good if you're using time travel to go back to those iconic scenes. Endgame did it. You know, that's how you know you've made a good original movie. Yeah. The third one is a second because you've got the Westerns, you've got the stagecoach, you've got the train scene at the end, you've got Biff uh, getting knocked out, Marty chooses not to use the gun, all these just iconic moments. Frisbee. Um, yeah. I, so the third one just had a lot there for young David and adult David because of the Western theme. Um, and then and then the first one. So those, I, I would go two, three, one. What about you? So I feel like I have two different things. And I feel like we've I've already kind of revealed it uh, up until this point that in the order in which I saw them as a kid, two, three, one, it, okay. is what my kid brain is. Rewatching it as an adult, as many times that I have, and rewatching it in recent days, I think it's actually instead for me as an adult is in the order in which they were released. I think it's one, two, three. Like I really do that like wow. the, I, the first one 
I really feel ha- like has this dramatic element that as a kid, I didn't recognize. I recognize those moments, like we had said, as scary, as yeah. too intense for a kid. But as an adult, that first storyline is the perfect Back to the Future storyline. Like it is, it's just, it's, it's so well shot. It's so well done. There's so much suspense and the way that they established characters and stuff. And the fact that that first movie established all of these repeating things of repeating dances, repeating, uh, you know, head trauma and unconscious (laughs) meeting your mother moments, you know, (laughs) like it established it so that you then understood that this was a callback to number one. This is a callback to number one. So I think that's why as an adult, I give it that weight is that it was the foundation uh, that is back to the future. Um, and I, as an adult, I appreciate the darkness of the first one of, of, of doc, if you think about it, like the fact that like in the second one, he's just like, oh, it's your kid. It's not you. It's your kids, Marty. And the fact that he's like, what did I turn out to be an a-hole? <laughs> like <laughs> that, that kicked off that movie. And that like, so it wasn't as hardcore. And then even the third one, the third one, much better of like, oh, Doc was, you know, electrocuted back to the past. I need to go rescue him was cool. Right. But when you think about that first one of watching your mentor get gunned down, and you don't, you aren't even able to go over to check to see if he's okay. And you yeah. just have to flee and accidentally go back to the past. Like that was such a cool premise. Um, and heavy. It, real heavy. And I think yeah. as an adult, I appreciate those dramatic elements. So yeah, I think it would go exactly in the order of which they were released, which I was kind of surprised by because to me, it's this like, there's other series that I feel like at some point in the not too distant future, we'll probably do this with Terminator as well. Or in <laughs> the like, not too distant past. That's true. Oh, yeah. Have it's to be like, the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one with a whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, timelines in it and stuff. But there are certain film series where like the sequel holds up more than the first one. Yeah. And I feel like Terminator is one of those ones, but back to the Empire future. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of those. But Back to the Future for me, I would have to disagree and go in the exact order in which they were they were released and filmed. It's just such a phenomenal film series. I love every element of this trilogy. It is by far, I I don't know, like I feel like when you even pit it up against um, the original trilogy of Star Wars, mm. I still feel like, I don't know, I feel like Back to the Future still might be the best trilogy of all time. I, oh, of all oh. time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy if uh, any star wars fans will ed- edit that somehow so you don't get mad <laughs> oh uh, we are we already lost the star wars fans earlier when you said that new hope wasn't the best one. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah you're like right there's some hard and fast new hope ones that if you go out of order yeah we we lost those about 10 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> you know i think uh you're you're 100 right about these movies the music the characters and if people who are listening that if they haven't seen them i urge you to just go back in time and watch uh the trilogy one two three uh love to hear what you think about it you know with that said i think i'm actually gonna go rewatch back to the future too i guess we'll just make like a tree and get out of here <laughs> and until Great the Scott. next time <laughs> and until the next time you see us or hear us be sure to live your life with just a little bit of whimsy we'll see you guys later Thank you for tuning in to Bygone Geek. Please rate and review our podcast and follow us on Instagram at Bygone Geek. I don't know the future. I didn't.
didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Where are you?